1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy, R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This Justin. breaking news from Stacking Benjamins. Hey, stackers,
0: I got to put the call in one more time. I think we almost have enough people, but we can still use a couple more. If you are in the Orlando area next week, that would be next Thursday specifically how would you like to make a little money and help the Stacky Benjamin Show get better? A big consulting group called Jacob's Media has decided that they want to show podcasters how focus groups can help you get better at your show. If you've listened to many podcasts, you know that a lot of them never get any feedback and they some of them really need feedback. So we have agreed to be the guinea pig, but we need people who listen to the show. So Jacob's is going to pay you to be there there's a little side hustle we're going to throw in some stacking benjamins swag because mom is thrilled that you would volunteer to help out and hopefully we'll be able to hang out together a little bit after we get done with uh with the focus group it's in front of a live audience you'd have to be there from eleven thirty to twelve thirty at the rose and shingle resort uh we'll send you all that stuff but for now here's how you volunteer stackybedjamins.com forward slash focus group focus group all one word and that link will take you right to the jacobs page you'll take a very quick survey and then uh, they will contact you if you qualify all right hope you're able to help us we're always interested in delivering a great show speaking a great show we got one on tap right now so enough about that let's get this party started
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and good for me because I don't need a side hustle. This job offers me everything I need, unlimited meatloaf and root beer. But if you're open to increase your side hustle game, we're all about that today as we welcome special guest, the author of The Art of Being a PETA, Shanna Bell. And from Afford Anything, it's Paula Pant. Hey, but that's not all. In our Friday FinTech segment, we'll talk to the guy behind the Chipper app, helping you chip away at your student loans. We'll magnify someone's money and save time for my amazing trivia. And now, the guy who always starts the weekend with a smile and a can-do attitude. Okay, I guess we know who wrote this script. It's Joe Salcijai.
0: I wonder who wrote that. Of course, it's me. I always have a can-do attitude. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Salcijai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome to Friday Or, as this guy across the table from me in the basement here calls it, Fry-yay.
2: Isn't every day a Friday when I'm with you?
0: (laughs) What does that mean, that it's just about over? That you keep thinking to yourself, it's just about over?
2: It's just about over. How are you, man? Lord, give me strength. Uh, marginal. Good, good. Fair to partly cloudy? No, it's great. It's Friday, so. It's
0: fantastic. It's August
2: already. Can you believe it? can go back to school in two weeks. You're looking forward to that, aren't you? Not even two weeks, like 10 days. What do you call that at your house, the finish line? Well, as now I have my third child also going to school, part-time, there's going to be some changes afoot.
0: That, oh yeah, party at uh, the OG residence. It's going to be awesome. The person who parties every day, by the way, out there in the desert near Las Vegas, it is our good friend Paula Pant.
3: It is me and it is hot in Vegas. It's a high of 111 degrees today. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This time of year? Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's crazy. What are you talking about? Seriously, who would have guessed?
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's what you get when you move into the middle of a desert, Paula.
3: You know what's funny is, of all things, in the middle of the Mojave Desert, the sushi is amazing. There's nothing like seafood Raw seafood in the middle of the desert. <laughs> the best seafood.
0: You got to go to the place where nothing lives to get.
3: Exactly.
0: Yes. I don't know. There's some analogy that involves this show and that, but I, I'm i not coming up with it. But I do have good news, Paula. What's that? We have a very special guest who's going to save the show today.
3: Oh,
0: did you clone me? <laughs> well, <Nice>. even... <laughs> That's so humble. You're so absolutely humble. No, I did. I did. Shockingly, we did even better than that. We have the author of The Art of Being a PETA with us today, our good friend, Shauna Bell. We finally have her on the show. Shauna,
4: Hi, Joe. How's everybody doing? It's about time you got here. (laughs) I know. I'm excited. We finally worked it out. I think it's been about a year, maybe. Since now we talked about this.
0: <laughs> it has been almost a year. We talked about it at FinCon. Like you got to come on to talk about the book. And uh, well, you know, we got around to it finally. We
4: finally got our schedules together. It's fine. we worked it out. Let's talk
0: about the book because of the fact that you're somebody who's done things a little bit differently than a lot of people have. You've designed your whole life around what most people would call side hustles.
4: That is true. I've been doing it this way since I was 14. So 26 years because I just turned 40. I have never really done one main job because I don't like it that way. So for years I was considered weird and oddball, which I'm fine with, but now it's more normal. So it's kind of cool to see the evolution of how many people are now doing side hustles, which is what I've been doing for so long. I think right now I've got about eight of them. So
0: so would would, uh, people then back in the day, would they call you a PETA or does PETA have a different meaning this time around?
4: No. So PETA was kind of a twofold thing by my um, publishing house. My mom dubbed me a PETA when I was younger because I refused to conform to societal norms and pick one path of career because that was the only thing that she thought would make me successful. So that kind of stuck. And then when we came up with the title for the book, we thought it would be funny to call it The Art of Being a PETA. It had a different name originally, but it wasn't, I guess, as easily digestible. So, I changed it to that because I've also had celiac since 1986 and I've never oh. had pita. I, can, I can't eat pita. So, we thought it would be a fun joke since I have a master's in nutrition <laughs> and I'm a holistic health advisor and I can't eat pitas. And it, it just kind of worked. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're the type of pita that we like on this show. So, we're so glad that you're here with us today. I tell you what, we've got a phenomenal show, but something we got to talk about before we get to the show, Sean. You know what that is? I don't. We got to say a big thanks to Magnify Money for being our sponsor of the show because the average person doesn't know that when you go to Magnify Money, you know what you find there, Shauna?
4: What do you find there, Joe? You,
0: you find that the average person is getting a lot less interest on their savings account. They're paying higher fees on their checking account. They don't have a credit card with top rewards like the ones that you find on Magnify Money. Over 92% of the products out there are on Magnify Money. So if you've been shopping at your brick and mortar bank, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And Shauna, you'll find a whole new world of
4: stuff. I'm excited to check it out.
0: And today's show, Shauna is also brought to you by Acre Trader, investing in farmland. I love investing in farmland because it is so boring and boring and boring and boring in a good way. For more information on how to become a farmland investor using AcreTrader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. By the way, we'll have more about them later on in the show. We've got Shauna Bell here. We've got Paula Pant. We've got OG. What could be better? Let's start the party.
4: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Our headline today comes to us from Bankrate. While we have the woman who's existed on side hustles here, we thought we'd talk about side hustles. This is a survey out recently uh, written by Amanda Dixon. Survey, nearly one in three side hustlers needs the income to stay afloat. That really bothered me. So I clicked on that link and here's what Amanda had to say. One big takeaway from the government shutdown that ended months ago, many Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. Despite a healthy economy and a strong labor market, three in 10 working Americans with a side hustle say they need the extra income to help cover the cost of regular living expenses. I want to stop there for just a second. And actually, uh, Shana, let's start with you. Do you think that people with a full-time job... They say they need this side hustle to cover their basic expenses. Is that because we don't have a budget? We don't keep expenses in check? Or is it because jobs just aren't
4: doing it today? I think part of it is because a lot of people don't have a budget or they have one and they don't stick to it. But I think the other part is that the income has just not kept up with inflation. And so the money doesn't stretch as far as it used to stretch.
0: Yeah, we're seeing more jobs in the in the service industry lately. So even though there's low unemployment, a lot of those jobs are just above minimum wage.
4: That's true. And it's hard to make it on just above minimum wage, especially if you have any children at all.
0: This study looks into why we're side hustling. It says, though, many families rely on side hustles to make ends meet. The most common reason workers take on side gigs is they need a source of disposable income. That's a reality for 34 percent of this recent survey participants. And it helps explain why many people aren't going on vacation this summer. Do you find that surprising,
3: Paula? People not going on vacation? It's no longer part of the cultural conversation. During the recession, we often heard people talk about staycations that became trendy. We don't hear that anymore. So I think that having been through a 10-year bull market, the cultural conversation is no longer about vacation avoidance, but I don't find it surprising that there's a segment of the population that doesn't have that type of discretionary income. There are certainly many people who that that's not in the works. You know, When you're trying to pay your bills, you don't have enough money to go pack your family on a plane and head to Hawaii.
0: And I totally get that, but there's a big time downside to that. I mean, you and I both have talked to our mutual friend, Laura Vanderkam, about this. And Laura studies productivity and has said very often that it's unplugging those batteries and taking that time out that makes you better at work. If you don't take that vacation, I think it really makes it harder to work, doesn't it?
3: Sure. And I think that... In order to take a vacation, again, to vouch for the staycation, if the goal is to be more productive at work, taking the necessary time to get adequate sleep, to get adequate nutrition, to drink enough water, to get adequate exercise, taking adequate time to be able to focus on nurturing your daily health habits is perhaps the most productivity-enhancing thing that you can do. And I would argue that... If it's a choice between working yourself to the grind 50 weeks a year and spending two weeks a year in Hawaii versus working 52 weeks a year, but doing so at a more sustainable pace in which you're getting eight hours of sleep a night and exercising five days a week, I- I'd go for the latter.
0: Yeah, we've seen uh, you know, some talk lately, OG, about four-day work weeks and about how, regardless of you know what any politician says, that four-day work weeks... Maybe a great idea for everybody because of the fact that, A, we, we seem to get more done in four days and people have more time to recharge the batteries.
2: I think that we should be a model for America and we should go to four days a week at Stacking Inventions.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. We're three days a week now. I don't want to go one oh.
2: more day. Wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like we work a little bit more than than uh, three days. It does. You know, the the whole thing about recharging your batteries and stuff, I think, is really important but it doesn't have to be anywhere. I, I kind of take a different view on this whole, Oh, well, we're needed to go on vacation. I don't ever remember going on vacation when I was a kid, we would go to my grandma's house and she lived on a farm on Saturdays. And, but that was to mow the grass, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't vacation. It was so that my dad had a different place to drink beer at for the day than you know, in the backyard of our house, <laughs> you know, God bless them. But, um, I think at some level using, you know, a side hustle gig in order to afford some luxuries, uh which is kind of, you know, what you're talking about here, that's a great use for it. You know, the other the other part is to increase your savings. You know, obviously, like you mentioned at the very beginning, there's people that have to do it just cuz they have to do it. But I would much rather do that. I mean, we've all been through that like when things are not going well or business isn't going strong or You're just not making any money. I mean, everybody's been coming out of college before and had two jobs in college or whatever. There's a time to really put your foot on the gas and work your tail off and work those 52, you know, weeks in a row. And then there's times not to do that. There's nothing wrong with working really hard if you have to, you know. And there's nothing wrong with working really hard so that you can afford something Yeah. Down the line, that's a little bit uh, nicer or grander or whatever the case may be.
0: Shawna, you're somebody who's made side hustles your permanent gig. Do you
4: take vacations? Not very often, no, because every day is kind of like a vacation. When, <laughs> when you work multiple side hustles, every day is different. So I'm never doing the same thing. Therefore, I don't have that monotony and it doesn't feel like work most of the time, which is another reason that I chose to do this as my career path. As opposed to one job. Well, now that being said, we are taking all five kids on vacation next week, <laughs> but it is their their only vacation for the year, and we're not paying for it. Oh, well, there Those you go. The best kind of vacation. I know. <laughs> I know.
0: Somebody <laughs> else pay for it. Uh, take take me too. I I appreciate that.
4: Not really. I'm travel hacking. I'm travel hacking. So ah, so gotcha. Go. Yeah,
0: that
2: works just as well too.
0: Yeah. When you decide though, you know, you talk about different gigs that you work, and that's that's fascinating to me because I think if people did that more often or were able to be in that situation where they did things that were just different and it seems more fun, maybe that makes it easier to get through your day.
4: It does. It does make it easier to get through my day because I never know what I'm doing for the most part each week. I have a fantastic Google calendar, which has multiple colors in it. And as soon as something is added or I need to do something, I add it to my calendar. So every morning, my spouse and I have a discussion as to what our schedules look like for the day. And, you know, we never know. Sometimes like today, it's a 14 hour day, but tomorrow will probably be a three or four hour day. And who knows what I'll do the rest of the day. And I'm okay with that. Now, obviously,
0: Paula, everybody doesn't have the ability to do this. We're all people that either work for ourselves or people that work a lot of different jobs. But for you, I think that's very similar, isn't it? Your days are pretty fun because you kind of choose what you do.
3: I do. I mean, and sometimes there are things that are urgent, right? There are times where there are projects in which I am the bottleneck. And if I don't get back to such and such person, then I'm bottlenecking their ability to move forward in their work. When those types of situations come up, I do have to be very conscientious that my actions have an impact on others. And that's probably my single strongest motivation to to show up for work. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I work on projects that are highly autonomous and self-directed. But remember, I wasn't born doing this. You know, sure. I chose this path after coming out of a traditional 9-to-5 W-2 job situation, one in which I was making at maximum $31,000 a year. So I developed side hustles, which I then kind of transformed into my main hustle, partially because I saw that I could make more doing it. And then the fact that it also gave me a more autonomous, flexible life was a win on top of another win.
0: Yeah, why did you choose this path, Shauna?
4: I chose this path because I like to learn a lot and I get bored in situations fairly easily. So I've found that if I keep doing multiple different things that seem unrelated, that I don't get bored as often and I'll stick with something longer and I learn more, which then translates to being a better problem solver and potentially getting more pay somewhere else because I have a vast skill set.
0: Yeah. You've got a wide skill set now because you've done so many different things.
4: I do. I've had my hands in many, many different pockets, and I like it that way.
2: The uh, OG, <laughs> uh, how about you? Well, I was going to say a couple of things. First of all, we look at this idea of a side hustle being, you know, this extra thing. And Paula, you kind of said it without saying it: is that you know, you actually took the thing that was your side gig and turned it into your main gig for a lot of reasons. One of which was, you know, provided the opportunity to earn a better income. But a lot of times, you know, we're talking about all this stuff around financial independence and, oh, I got to do what I love and, you know, I got to get out of the cubicle and, you know, all that sort of stuff. This is a way to be able to do that. This is a way to find the thing that you want to do that you do like, that you can work 14 hours a day at and not get burned out. And P.S. It makes a little bit extra money. I found it really interesting in the, the section in here where it talks about wealthier people are more likely to have side hustles than those who aren't as wealthy. And you kind of go, well, is that a chicken or egg thing? Are they wealthy because of their side hustle or is it, you know, their side hustle made them wealthy? Is that why they're in that category? And I don't know. I think I think that if you look around, you see the people who are most successful in your life, you know, around you. And a lot of times they're just fully occupied all of the time with stuff that helps them grow. And maybe it's growing financially or mentally, Shauna, like you were talking about, but there's not a lot of stagnation. There's not a lot of time where you're just sitting around going, yeah, going to watch Netflix today.
0: Do you think, Paula, the financial independence movement would be smaller if more people were doing jobs that they liked?
3: That's a very good question. I was I, like, I know, I asked oof. it. <laughs> the short answer is yes. The more nuanced answer is that once a person gets inside of the financial independence movement and they learn about the financial independence aspect, not just the early retirement aspect, once they discover that nuance, then you learn that it it is the case that you don't have to hate your job. You don't even have to quit your job to gain financial independence. There are so many benefits of having your income be independent of your ability to trade time for money. But The initial hook that gets people interested up front is often the desire to quit their job. It's often the late Sunday night or early Monday morning Google search of like, how do I quit my job or how do I retire early? That's often what gets people in the door. So yes, I do think the movement would be smaller simply for fewer people getting in the door prior to discovering the nuance of the movement.
2: Or it's like the late night, Sunday night basement recording sessions at 9.30 at night that makes people want to quit their job.
0: (laughs) Does anybody do that? Does anybody? Just just once a week. Yeah. No, it's great. No, those (laughs) late Sunday nights are great. We're scrambling to get that thing done. Uh, How employed side hustlers use their extra income? Let's talk about this. Which one of the following best describes what you use the extra money on the side for? Disposable income for spending is about 33, 34%. Uh, Shauna, does that surprise you that that's number one?
4: No, not at all. Because I think a lot of people are doing side hustles just so that they have disposable income to do the things they want, like take vacations.
2: It's a guilt-free spending, right? It's the, I've got my job that does this, and then I go Uber, or I go deliver DoorDash, and that gives me the money to go to Vegas when I want. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's funny
0: at the same time Paula if you had more of a long-term thought process instead of I got this extra money I can blow, you could potentially blow money for a lot longer if you invested that money.
3: Well, that's true, but it depends on how intentional like blowing this money is because if you if you set a short-term goal of I really want to take this trip you know, I've never been to South Africa before, and I really want to go visit Cape Town. And I'd like to do that before I'm 35, right? That sure, you. <laughs> for me, you know, so so sure, like you're spending money that you otherwise could have invested, but you're also trading that for a life experience that's going to be unique to a particular place and time, and there is value to that. So. Blowing money in an unintentional way is never a good idea, but intentional conscious spending that happens, you know, in the relative short term, I think that's fine.
0: I love trying to play devil's advocate with you and you always turn it right back around, which I (laughs) kind of find a little annoying, but.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Headache inducing.
0: Well, and number two OG is paying for regular living expenses. 30% of people are doing it just to make ends meet. That's disconcerting.
2: Well, it is, but by the same token, how great is it that there's an opportunity to do that? You know, because 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't as much like microeconomic type stuff that you could control on your own. And now, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, "Oh crap, I need to make more money. I had a medical expense that I need to take care of or I have a family member I need to help out." Whatever it is, you can go make money tomorrow doing it. You don't have to go wait for hopefully they hire you at Target during Christmas, which is something people do too, you know, so that's fine. But I'm saying like, you could just go do it right now and then solve that problem and, and then not do it anymore for for a period of time. Shauna, looking
0: at all the different side hustles that are out there, tell me about some of the different side hustles that you've worked in.
4: Oh, a lot. The book encompasses 56. So and there's been, yeah. I think, four more since then. So we're at 60 now. <laughs> Let's see. One of the biggest ones I'm doing right now is Rover. So we have dogs all the time. It's dog boarding, which is pretty awesome. I have done Airbnb and Airbnb experiences, catering, a lot of catering for a lot of different companies in hotels and private catering, waiting tables, event management for or I guess event security for sports games and concerts. And that's always interesting because you deal with a lot of drunk people. And you're just signing Um, up to
0: work for other organizations that need people on a flexible basis, like for catering, you know, they've got a big event, so they hire you on as help for that event.
4: Correct. Yes. So if you get on with a catering company, you can usually pick and choose which events you work. So it's a flexible schedule based on when you want to work, which is nice.
0: When, when you look at that versus building your own catering company or building your own whatever it might be, where do you come down on, you know, working for Uber as an example to make ends meet versus starting your own, you know, your own website or your own company, whatever it might be?
4: Well, I've done both. I can tell you we have catered through my company as well. I don't like it as much because I'm not a huge fan of the marketing aspect. Oh, um, that's, that's my weakness. I don't really like the marketing aspect. So I need to just hire that out. So... I like working for other people in that respect, but when it comes to, uh, like I'm also a real estate investor, I consider that a side hustle as I'm sure Paula does as well. I like that and I like every aspect of it. So that's working for myself. And as a freelance writer, I work for myself, but I have to rely on, on people to hire me to do it. I can write on my blog and I make a little bit of money doing that, but it's different than freelance writing. So it just kind of depends.
0: So I like this idea, though, Paula, that Sean is talking about, about knowing yourself, because I've met some people that are that absolutely love working for other people. They just they don't want to own the company. And I know other people that are that love owning the company. And I guess that's probably the number one thing to think about.
3: Yeah, I think it can be helpful as you try different side hustles to keep a log of what you enjoyed, what you didn't, what aspect of this side hustle was similar to what you expected, what was different from what you expected. Like, Go in, write down your expectations and hopes and concerns ahead of time. And then once you get some experience in the side hustle, write down what that was. And then you can kind of look back on what your previous self thought versus what you thought now or what you think now. And if you do that over the course of a variety of side hustles, I think you'll develop a, a better idea of, in a more big picture sense, what is it that you actually enjoy or, or what elements or aspects of a job do you actually enjoy?
0: Yeah, because there had to, there has to be some of, of the 60 things that you've done, Shada, that you're like, I ain't never doing that again.
4: There are, are quite a few of those <laughs> 60 things. Yes. And that's actually how I have it laid out in the book. After each one, I put a section about what I learned which can either be about myself, about what Paula was mentioning, skills that I learned, or things that I liked or disliked about the actual position, so that I hopefully wouldn't replicate it again. But if you ever end up reading the book, you'll go through and realize I did replicate some of the negative aspects I didn't like. And I finally learned that I didn't like that and didn't do it again.
0: Yeah, it's like, don't touch the stove again. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gee, I want to end on this one. Income for savings, about 27% of people use their side hustle so they can sock more money away. That's good news.
2: That's great. Yeah. Use that side hustle money to make more money so that your money starts making money and it's its own side hustle. Well, and the cool thing is
0: if you establish a business with your side hustle, if the companies you work with will let you do that, you can sock away quite a bit of money and still keep it tax sheltered.
2: Yeah. A lot of different retirement plans that you can use and to maximize, complement the opportunities you have in your other jobs, you know, so it gives you a lot of flexibility.
0: Yeah. Do, do you have a uh, business entity then, Shauna, or is it just however they pay you for that thing?
4: I have two business entities right now. One is strictly for real estate investing because that's a whole different animal. Sure. And the, the other one is for consulting. So it's anything else that I do.
0: Gotcha. And most of these places will pay your consulting company Yes. Yeah.
4: They pay me that way directly. It makes my taxes a whole lot easier when I do them in the spring. There is a
0: lot here that we didn't get to. Working Americans spend an average of 12 hours a week completing tasks related to their side hustle. They earn an average of just over $1,100 a month. Lots of stuff here. We'll link to it on our show notes page at com. But we'll let our guests go last. Um, but, OG, oh, I guess we'll have you go first. Uh, Takeaway from this
2: piece? I think the biggest thing is is that... You can use a side hustle for anything that you want. Whether it's if you're in a bind and you need a few extra bucks, use it to make a few extra bucks. If you want to use money to save for a special purpose, a once-in-a-lifetime trip like South Africa. If I could go back in time six years to go to South Africa by the time I was thirty-five, <laughs> sure. Um, they didn't have side hustles back in uh, when I was when I was young enough to be saving for South African trips by thirty-five. Well, that's what's great about them, I think, is that you can do whatever you want for any length of period of time. Paula, ditto. Yes, I finally, got, it. I finally got the I finally got the good one. I just talked until people got tired.
3: He's been he's yeah. Been, I mean, I, I think that says it all. Side hustles give you flexibility, and and what's great about them is that you can scale up or down accordingly. Um, you don't have to make any major commitments. And if you find something that you really enjoy and you want to build a business out of it, then you can do that. And that business, you know, will will require more of a, a long-term plan for it, but that can come later. If you want to cash up for a
4: cool trip, you can just cash up for a cool trip. And Shauna, you've got the last word. Well, I think the other two said it pretty well side hustles really just give you the freedom. They give you more of the freedom to live the life that you want, whatever that looks like, because you have a little bit more financial flexibility. And that's important about the piece, I think.
0: We're going to take a little break from our fantastic discussion with Shauna, Paula and OG for our Friday FinTech segment. We do not endorse any of the companies that are on the show. They're just ideas that we thought were pretty interesting. We want to learn them alongside of you. And as I was scrolling through Twitter a couple of weeks ago, I came across this, this company called Chipper, where you're chipping away at your student loans. And I thought this was just fascinating. Shauna,
4: do you have student loans or did you have student loans? I don't have student loans, but I did have small student loans. And you chipped away at them very quickly? No, I (laughs) I did not. (laughs) I'm probably the wrong person for this. I actually sold a house and paid off all my debt.
0: (laughs) No. Well, that's good. That's fantastic. Uh, Because then you don't need Chipper, but you and I both know a lot of people who do. So let's say hello to the CEO and founder of Chipper, Tony Aguilar, coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, the founder of the Chipper app, our good friend Tony Aguiar. How are you, man?
5: Oh, I'm doing great this morning. I'm a little tired. We have a two-week-old, um, and he was he was acting like a two-week-old last night. Um, so <laughs> other than that, though, life is good. Life is great. I was about to
0: ask you about that. Congratulations, by the way. I saw that on an email exchange that we had back and forth. Mom and, and baby both doing well then.
5: Doing well. Mom was was a little aggravated this morning, but, you know, once he smiles and, you know, he opens his eyes and is having a good morning, she'll be OK.
0: Tony is a father of 24 year old twins. The aggravation <laughs> doesn't go away. It does not.
5: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I
0: should have said spoiler ahead of that. So so you are already thinking about uh, college for your two week old.
5: Absolutely. Um, also, I have a six-year-old, so I'm thinking oh. about that a little. Yeah, that's coming a lot faster. Um, so definitely thinking about that stuff. Sure. Course.
0: So tell me about Chipper then. Did Chipper start because of an issue that you had around student loans or did you see an opportunity in the marketplace? Tell me the origin story.
5: Yeah. So crushing student loans is like really my life's calling. My first taste or experience with student loans um, was me coming out of school with over $100,000 myself. I was the first of my family to graduate from high school, the first to go to college. And so we just didn't have experience, you know, in, in applying for school, applying for financial aid. And so uh, I think I missed out on a lot of big opportunities to get more grants or more scholarships. But if you look at my business cards, it says I was blessed with $100,000 in student loan debt, um, because if it wasn't for, you know, going through all that stuff, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing today. Um, and so, yeah, I was a victim of student loans myself.
0: Yeah, boy, $100,000. That yeah. just feels like
5: a huge mountain, doesn't it? Yes. And I still have some of that debt. So I'm still climbing up that mountain. Uh my wife still has a little bit of student loan debt as well. So yes, it's very daunting when you're twenty two years old. You you come out of school and you have this massive amount of student loan debt. But really it's like the day to day impact of, you know, you knowing that you're gonna have to make twelve hundred dollar monthly payments and trying to figure out how you're gonna pay rents and, and buy groceries and, and all those things. And so it was really, you know, struggling for a couple of years that Kind of got me angry about the problem and want sure. to do something about it.
0: Yeah, huge problem, getting bigger all the time. In fact, just before you walked down to the basement, I was online looking at even more stories. I mean, politicians talking about it with another student loan thing blowing up. It's just absolutely horrible. So let's let's talk about Chipper then and where you guys come in to help solve this problem. Tell me how the app works.
5: Yeah, so there's two parts of the app. The first part is we help people make the smartest decisions when it comes to paying back their student loan debt. And so what we mean by that is on average, our users are coming out with about 12 loans and they're paying two or three different servicers, right? So it's not like a mortgage or a car loan where you have one loan and you're paying one bank. People have this really complex, confusing situation. And they've heard of you know, repayments and consolidation and, and refinancing, but they're not sure what to do. And so at Chipper, our student loan planner allows people to see you know, which of the 100 plus uh, repayment and forgiveness programs that they specifically qualify for. So all they have to do is log in. Uh, link their student loans. And within seconds, they'll be able to see, you know, which of their loans qualify for which programs out there. Sweet. Um, So you
0: might be able to be a lot more efficient than you are with your loans right now.
5: Yes. That's our goal is, you know, what ends up happening is people just come out of school and, you know, they don't think about their loans at all while they're in college, right? You're just pulling out loans every semester and then your grace period, you know, kind of ends and the people are like, oh, I got to start paying my loans and they get the bill in the mail and they just start paying. When there's all these different options, especially, you know, I'm sure you've seen all the debacle right now with uh, public service loan forgiveness, where you have teachers who, if you work for, you know, school district for 10 years and you're paying your loans on time, you know, you could have all of your loans forgiven after that 10 year period. Uh, but what we've seen happen, you know, last year was the first year that, you know, the first people could actually qualify for public service loan forgiveness. But what happened, they, they had the wrong type of loans. They were on the wrong type of repayment plans. And then, you know, they think they're going to have their loans forgiven. They apply and they get denied. And then they have to start the clock all over again.
0: Yeah, so frustrating. So that's the first side of the company then. I hook up my student loans. I find out the most efficient way to pay them off or more efficient ways to pay them off.
5: What's the other part? So we want to help you make the smartest decision possible. And the second part is we want you to you know, pay off the debt as quickly as possible. And so what we've done is taken a lot of the components that have worked in the savings and, and investing world. So roundups, uh, you know, micro-investing, you know, a bunch of these really cool tricks to allow people to just chip away their debt a lot faster. And so the first feature we launched was roundups. Uh, You you, you link your student loans, you link the cards you used to buy stuff, and every time you make a a purchase, we round up that transaction and send the change off to your student loan debt. So every day you're chipping away. Right around college graduation, we launched Chipper Pool that allows uh, family and friends to chip in. So as a user, you send out this link. So everybody in the app has has their own link. Uh, You send it via text or social media or email, however you want. And grandma clicks on it, and grandma can make a one time contribution or she can set up recurring contributions. But the best part is she can see the impact of those contributions towards your student loan debt. And people are shocked that 25 or 50 bucks per month will typically save people thousands of dollars in interest over time and help them pay off their loans years faster. So it's been exciting to see, you know, it's not only you chipping away your debt faster, now you have this community around you your, your parents, your spouse, grandma, and grandpa, uncles that you would never. Imagine what you pay back your student loan debt <laughs> that are now contributing. It's been really cool to see Uncle Bill's finally doing something helpful. In uh, yeah, my life. I, I was wondering what he was doing in California That's over there, right. and you know what? You know, he's, he's helping me pay off my student loan debt. That's Can right.
0: relatives do a uh, one-time contribution? You know, instead of a sweater for the holidays that you're never going to wear, or you know, that horrible birthday present that you really don't care about, they could instead uh, make a donation to Chipper.
5: Absolutely, I love that you use a sweater analogy. Because that's, I think, the most common gift that we've all received from, like, grandma or, or your aunt. And, you know, it just hangs in your closet and you never get rid of it because you know it was a gift. But, yes, in lieu of them shopping for sweaters or, you know, a pack of socks, you know, they can now contribute directly to, like, towards your student loan debt. I think the best part about chip or pull, though, is that what we've seen is, you know, you have college students now are, are starting to chip away their debt while in school. And that's never happened before. You know, typically it's like you, you go to school, yeah. you're pulling out loans every semester. The you know the the interest is accumulating, and you know you have this mountain of debt when you leave. Now we have people once they get to school, 18 years old, they're chipping away with the roundups, but now family and friends are chipping away, and so hopefully by the time they graduate, they're going to have you know a quarter or a third of the debt that they would have. And it's just exciting to see that type of you know behavior change.
0: Yeah, a head start and, and have some momentum going into the process instead of this fear of, I finally have to
5: start paying. Exactly, exactly. And it's just really exciting to see, though, that these students at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old are starting to pay attention to their finances. I just don't think that was the case when I was in school you don't really think about it. It's like, you know, you're just a broke college student. And so you're just kind of like envisioning, you know, your career and all those things and you don't really pay attention to your finances so much. Uh, But I think because the problem has gotten so big, people are a little more conscious on how they're spending money and, you know, how much debt they're actually pulling out and and the long-term implications of that.
0: And just so people know, Tony, a little bit about you and your pedigree, this is not the first successful company you've launched. You've, you've been in the space before with another company.
5: Absolutely. The student loan problem is pretty big. And so, yeah. I, so I think it's going to take a couple of big swings to really make a huge dent in the problem. Uh, but before Chipper, I launched a company called Student Loan Genius, which was the first student loan benefit. Um, so it allowed employers to contribute directly to employees' student loan debt a, as a perk. Um, so we'd like to say it was, it was a 401k uh, for student loans. Um, and so uh, Student Loan Genius, uh, we, we switched the name to Vault Ah, uh, but we're helping you know over 100 plus companies you know pay back their student uh, their employee student loan debt like Mastercard, Pinterest, New York Live, Twilio, just a bunch of great companies who who really want to help. Yeah, I love that idea,
0: and what a great benefit by the way that could be a competitive advantage for a company, you know, to uh, lure some talented people uh, yep. to their team instead of them going someplace else.
5: Absolutely, and and we've seen you know we launched that company in 2013. You know, it's only been a handful of years since then, but about 7% of companies in in the country offer a student loan benefit now. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so it's it's awesome to see kind of that, you know, start to take form. Um but you know, y- yes, it's it's definitely a competitive advantage, but also it's just showing that employers like actually really do care. care you know, like right. you know, they they know this is your biggest financial concern and, and they want to do something about it.
0: Uh back to chipper, what does it cost? So if I sign up on the app, what does it cost for me to use it? So
5: for student loan planner, uh, where you just, you know, you you can search for different repayment and forgiveness options. That's completely free. Uh, if you decide to start using, uh, the roundups and those other features, that's $2 per month. Okay. And so, uh, we just take, you know, two bucks from whatever you round up each month. Uh, the average person does about $53. And so we'll take $2, uh, you know, for, for our service fee. And then we send the rest off uh, to your highest interest loan.
0: Gotcha. And is that the way you make money or do you also have a bank partner as you're helping people chip away that kind of holds the money or anything like that?
5: No, so that's the only way we bank money. We don't hold it. Uh, we don't you know make float on it or do anything yeah. you know weird or crazy with it. We don't sell your data, like none, none of that stuff. Um, that's really we don't make much money off of that. You know it, it costs us money to analyze your transactions every single day and, and you know we make weekly payments, so we're sending payments every single week. You know there's a real cost that comes with that. And so you know we make a little bit of profit from that, but it's really just to cover our cost. Uh, we do have a banking partner. Uh, I can't say who yet, but we're working on some really exciting products that we hope to launch over the next eight to 12 months. Just think about like, you know, maybe a debit card that you get one to 2% back on every transaction that you make toward your student loans. Oh. That also allows you to get two to 10% back on certain transactions with certain brands, you know, that you shop at all the time. So some, so we're working on cool stuff like that. Some rewards that I can put toward my student loan repayments. That's exactly it. You know, these are things that you're going to buy anyway. These are places you're going to shop anyway. Why not get 10 to 15 percent back on those transactions towards your student loan debt? And so it also goes back to, you know, companies who, who want to help, you know, not just for their employees, but brands who, who really want to give back. You know, a lot of the brands that we're talking to just have a history of, of helping people typically between K through 12. Right. They give scholarships or they donate back to the community. But now we've given them the opportunity to start to really help people that are struggling with student loan debt.
0: Tony, you know, nobody listens to the show. It's just you and I here. You can tell us who the brands are, your baking partner.
5: (laughs) I wish I could. I wish I could. I promise. Uh, I can't, but, but you're going to be excited when you see them. All
0: right. We got to have you back when you have, uh, when you got that news, make sure you call mom first. Uh, uh, the the app is chipper. We'll have a link to it on our show notes page at StackyBenjamins.com. If, uh, you're walking the dog or on your commute, Tony, man, thanks for hanging out with us and helping us pay off our student loans.
5: Hey, Joe, thanks for the opportunity uh, to share what we're working on. I'm going to head back upstairs. You know, breakfast smells really good this morning.
0: It's always better up there than it is down here. I don't blame you.
1: Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just realized that maybe I should become an Uber driver between Shanna's talk about being a PETA and Joe's mom always saying I'm driving her places, like, you know, I'm driving her crazy or I'm driving her up a wall. Why shouldn't I cash in on that? I'll bet Shanna Bell would like that idea, wouldn't you, Shanna? Well, in the spirit of all this side hustle talk, let's spin some Uber trivia. How about this? How many drivers does Uber have? I'll be back with your answer right after this.
0: All right, we explained the crazy and convoluted rules to this game to Shanna backstage. Uh, Shanna, you got how incredibly complicated this is
4: i do i I think i understand i'm gonna try
0: fantastic you are playing in on behalf of len penzo and good news for you you have a huge lead you have nine wins while og and paula have six paula revved right up paula you revved right up alongside og and then stalled there
3: i'm tied for second
0: (laughs) that's exactly the attitude and the good news is you get to decide. No, wait a minute. OG gets to decide if he goes first in the middle or last. OG. Uh, I'm going to go last. OG's going last Paula. I will go middle. And that means Shauna, you are going first. So you're going to set the tone here. How many Uber drivers are there?
4: I'm going to presume we're talking about worldwide and not just in the United States. We, we are. So, that's, that's correct. That's a lot of drivers. Um, throwing a dart here because I don't I'm not sure how many countries Uber is in at this point but I think it's a lot. So I'm going to go with 525,000. 525,000
0: drivers. Paula?
3: <laughs> if anybody out here is a fan of the musical Rent, uh you'll understand why I immediately thought 525,600 minutes. <laughs>
0: 525,600 drivers.
3: Drivers. <laughs> but I am going to go an order of magnitude lower. I am going to go 52,560. 52, now, why so much lower? Well, when I first heard the question, uh, how many Uber drivers are there? I thought, well, maybe 40,000 ish. So. I notched it up a bit. Slightly. Slightly. And but, you,
0: you also made it difficult for our mutual friend OG here because he has to pick.
2: Gosh, Almighty. So, worldwide, how many Uber drivers are there? If I open my app right now, I would probably see like 20 cars just, just like right here, just, you know, within five miles of the basement. And there's at least what ten or twelve cities that Uber's in. So we had
0: Uber in God. Texarkana before. Well, I shouldn't tell you that.
2: So thirteen cities. Thirteen cities. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um. So if there were a hundred cities that had it, and they each had a thousand people, right? So that'd be a hundred thousand. I'm gonna say it's more than five hundred twenty-five thousand. So uh, you said five hundred twenty-five thousand. God, this is such a jack wagon move. But five hundred twenty-five thousand and one. <laughs> oh. I'm
0: I am so sorry. We do not we do not uh claim him, Shauna.
4: <laughs> oh, I think you do. You do.
0: <laughs> if you just send your hate mail to OG at com. Remember who invited you here and remember who was the Jack Wagon. Just just saying. We're going to tell you the answer, but of course, like any self-respecting show, we're going to make you wait for it. So we'll be right back. Mentioned earlier, we talk about Acre Trader later in the show. Here's what I love about this company. I'm a guy that grew up in West Michigan during my high school years and some of my college years. I worked in the farm fields. I wouldn't wish being a farmer on anybody who doesn't understand farming. However, I have seen over my lifetime that the value of these fields have stayed much more consistent than either commercial property or residential real estate. This is what acre trader is. You purchase a piece of a field. they divide it into little, affordable chunks of money. I'm sure that's exactly what the acre trader people call it, is little affordable chunks of money. Uh, So you own a little piece of land. Now, each spring, before the farmer plants anything, they pay you rent. So you get money as they pay the rent. That's consistent. Then while the real estate value can go up or down over time, generally, if you look historically, there's a lot less motion in that ocean than there are with a lot of other investments in real estate. Here's the reason why it's only open to accredited investors, and that is you get your money back plus whatever they make on the land when Acre Trader sells it in the future. So you want to invest money that you can afford to keep locked up, number one. Number two, you want to have plenty of money elsewhere in case you do have an emergency liquidity need. That's the basics of how Acre trader works. The cool thing is, of course, they negotiate with the farmer, they collect the rents, they take care of the soil to make sure that it stays sustainable. All of that administrative stuff taken care of. And instead of having to buy a huge field to get this, you buy just a little piece. So investing in farmland, very simplified. If you want to watch the starter video, you want to jump in and see how Acre Trader works, head to StackyBedgemans.com forward slash SB, and that tells them that we sent you. Shauna. You got to nail this thing at 525,000. Feel pretty confident?
4: <laughs> I was until OG jackwagoned me. <laughs> and Paula,
0: 52,560. That's a good round Ab- number.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Precision is the same thing as accuracy, isn't it? That's exactly. I, I, I think maybe not, but uh, I think <laughs> you're close. Uh, OG, you've got everything north of 525,000.
2: I just think there's way more. I don't know how many more, but just if there were a thousand in a hundred cities, there's a hundred and, and you know, there's way more than that. So.
0: Well, I can't believe I'm about to say this phrase, but Doug knows
1: the answer. So let's listen. Hello and welcome back trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm not only a very good driver, I'm great at trivia answers too. check this out before the break. I asked you how many drivers Uber currently has. And the answer, if you said 3.9 million drivers, you can high-five yourself, your five closest friends, and even their closest friends, because you'd be correct. Now, I'd love to stay and chat, but the El Camino's leaving soon to get the best seat at the Sizzler, and I still got to close out the show. So, hey, Joe, hurry it up, man. Let's get this baby finished. See ya.
2: Whoa.
3: I was way off.
2: Yeah. We got an order of magnitude higher, Paula. And, <laughs> yeah. And closer. Well, it's okay. I'll take it as a win. It, uh, it feels filthy, but, you know, it's a W. So put it down on the tick mark in the sky. Sean is probably going to cry. <laughs> and, well, sorry, neither man. of us
4: were it's close. A, yeah, three point, I have higher.
0: 3.9 million. Paula, with all of the number crunching you do, like 20 minutes every show, I was surprised <laughs> you just threw out 52,000.
3: Yeah, I can't believe it's the numbers in the millions. I mean, jeez. I was really guessing yeah, I I was really guessing that it was maybe going to be in the the low six figures, maybe the low hundred thousands, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, you How know. Many so people I figured
2: signed up for Uber to drive and then did like twice. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. And never did it again.
0: Yeah, but to clear over 1% of the population for any company, that's pretty well, and that's not population everywhere. Never mind, because it's it's worldwide. Three hundred million people in the ew, United States—that's so. a
3: lot of people.
0: It still is a t- three point nine million people. And by the way, there's this one in Columbus, Ohio, that I had a couple weeks ago. She shouldn't be driving. Just saying, <laughs> I was fairly certain I was going to die the entire trip. But OG,
2: I told you about the trip that I had where the guy was talking about like how some days he just doesn't feel like being around anymore and I'm like look at the time I should probably get out of the Uber now and you should go see somebody cuz now now is not the time for us to like have this chat I'm like hey at least the next 10 minutes you should be right I mean that's we we're just trying to one foot in front of the other right now not with me in the back seat like holy cow that was a little disturbing or the Uber driver that whipped through the neighborhood at like 45 miles an hour I'm like hey dude it's 25 right here He's like, oh, yeah, but don't you want to get there fast? I go, I want to get there alive. So let's let's not hit any children in the neighborhood. Holy cow. 25 would be swell speed. Yeah,
0: that's ugly.
4: Uh, Shauna, on
0: those 60, did you Uber?
4: Did I Uber? No. Well, no. And yes, I signed up to Uber. I did all of the stuff. Then I decided that it wasn't going to be worth it for me monetarily because I had too many other things going on. And I didn't want to have to get extra insurance on my car and blah, blah, blah. So I didn't do it.
0: I was seeing, I wonder how many of those people there are right there. Right. If yeah. that counts in the yep. 3.9 million. If that counts.
2: People, probably know. 2 point or 3.4 million no. of those people. I bet
0: it was 525,000 on the nose without all those. <laughs> That's what probably I said. So 3.4 yeah.
2: of those people. You got it. Yeah. were that <laughs> left 525. Hey, let's
0: take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. How about that? Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Because when you head to Magnify Money, you're going to find those financial products used every day, nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of the products available online, all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney for more. And today, we're going to magnify TJ's money. Say hi, TJ.
2: Hey, Joe and OG. This is TJ. Don't know if I'll learn much, but wanted to ask anyways. My girlfriend's daughter has some earned income this year and wanted to know about what sort of fun ways you can teach kids about money and saving for retirement. Well, can't wait to get that sweet T-shirt. Bye.
0: (laughs) Everybody wins. TJ gets a T-shirt. Kid gets some financial education. Uh, Shauna, what do you think? Teaching your kids about money with some earned income.
4: This is actually one of my favorite topics and I have written on a few different sites about it uh, because I'm a giant nerd and I'm okay with that. So one of the ways I've been teaching my kids about money with earned income is by opening a Roth IRA for them. When they make money through my company, all of that money gets put into the Roth IRA and then they have to help choose the ETFs they want it distributed into they can pick and choose which funds they want and watch them grow and decide if the next month they don't like that fund and they can then put it into a different one.
0: How do you help them decide among different funds? Like how do you teach them where, what places to begin with?
4: Well, for right now we're using fidelity. And Mm -hmm. so on their website for uh, the Roth IRAs, they have a lot of information about each particular one. So we look at each one and then I have them look it up to see if they're interested in the companies that are in there, how it's performing. And I mean, they're, 14 and 11. So they're old enough to understand a little bit about it. But I figure the more information they have, the smarter they'll be when they're in their 20s, because I didn't learn anything about it until I was in my 30s.
0: Well, and I love the idea of starting that young. And if it does go down in the big scheme of things to them, it's about it's a lot of money. But in the big scheme of things over their lifetime, they're not going to lose a ton of money. And you can kind of learn about risk.
4: Exactly. And so I want them to see when it goes down sometimes and understand that even though the market is going to fluctuate overall, they're still at a pretty decent profit for the year annually and overall, which is really all that matters because they're not supposed to be touching that money right now. Yeah. Paula, what do you think? I love the idea of helping a child open a Roth IRA for
3: earned income then investing it in some really fun way. And I was thinking about the app Robinhood because Robinhood lets you buy and sell individual stocks fee-free. And so, you know, just not that I advocate individual stock picking, but just to make it fun for for a kid, you know, to help them buy a couple of shares of Tesla or Apple or whatever company they think is super cool and and give them this idea of like, I am now a part owner of Tesla. I think that could be a lot of fun.
0: Can you see your, like, 11-year-old yelling at the screen when they find out that Elon Musk was smoking pot because they were a part owner of that company?
3: (laughs) (laughs) And if that does happen, video it, put it on YouTube, get ad revenue from it, use that ad revenue to buy even more Tesla stuff.
0: Wouldn't that be so awesome, having an 11-year-old yelling at their screen, Musk, stop doing that, I own this company! (laughs) <laughs> it'd be so, you work for me. It'd be so great. <laughs> I I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't know that um, Robinhood has custodial accounts for minors, though. I mean, I like the idea of the individual stocks. And I, I also like, Shauna, what you do going through and looking at the individual companies, you know, to talk about those companies but i don't i don't think somebody correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think they have custodial accounts
4: oh yeah that's, that's a good point i don't think they do there's yeah. very few that have them right now they're still not as popular unfortunately yeah og anything
0: to add to that uh, conversation
2: well no no not really uh, this is a great idea i think it's important because i've noticed anyway in my kids they just don't really get it you know it's hard to even with the ups and downs, the swing, you know, I try to pick days where the market's down a whole bunch and go, look, you lost 1200 bucks today. Ah, and then they get ticked off. And then, but then, you know, there's a lesson there, you know, it comes back and we kind of remember the high watermark numbers or whatever. But, um, we use stockpile, which you turned me on to a long time ago. And I just give the kids carte blanche. Like when it's time for them to invest some of their money, they can pick whatever company they want and what I like about that, the app is so-so, but the online profile is pretty good. It displays the companies in their brands. So it doesn't show the kids Kellogg because they don't know what Kelloggs are usually, but they know what Pop-Tarts are. And they know they eat the hell out of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> so I should own I should own whoever makes those. You can't beat the Roth component of it because, you know, I mean, my goodness, tax-free money for the 100 years, that's, that's crazy. So I love it.
0: You should teach them about like pairing synergistic stocks like pop carts and dental insurance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think the most important thing, uh, uh, add one more thing here is, is that when it comes to the kids, I think you have to give them some comparison, you know, cause, cause even so, you know, you're still telling them, Hey, this money's got to go away for the next, you know, 50 years. And trust me, I'll be dead and gone, but you'll be rich. I think it's really important when, they have an opportunity to do some light comparisons to kind of point it out. And I use the bank statement, you know, our kids have little bank accounts at the credit union. They have their stock account quarterly. They get their bank statement. Hey, you got 200 bucks. Here's your penny of interest. And I go, wasn't this wonderful. You earned a penny, three pennies so far this year, this quarter, you know, how how wonderful is it? And then you go, Oh, by the way, your half a share of Microsoft stock paid 61 cents this quarter. They go, that's not any money either. I go, with 61 times what the bank (laughs) penny. you know, now, you know, you don't have any money right now, but imagine when you had a, like a decent amount of money, like, where do you want it to be in Microsoft stock or something similar? Do you want it to be in the bank? You know, knowing that you get 61 times the income, you know, or whatever it is trying to drum that home. So comparisons help with kids. I think in my experience.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Shauna, any uh, money games you like to play? You said you've written about this uh, several times. Any good money uh, apps or games for kids that you especially like?
4: I don't really play money games with them a whole lot, except for the money game in my house, which is you need to do some chores and earn earn money. (laughs) Well, well, that's kind of a money game. it is. And they have to pay for their own stuff. If it's not a need, they have to, the rule is they have to pay for at least 50% of it if it's something large. And they also have to try and find the best deal and negotiate. So I've taught them how to do that, which is pretty cool. Oh. Um, before they can come to me with a request to help finance something, they have to have done all the research, found the best deal, tell me why they want it, and how much they're going to pay and what they're going to do to earn the money to pay for it before I'll even consider it. And it's worked out really well. And they're very responsible with all of their stuff.
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic. I, I love this topic too. It's really cool, TJ, that you're teaching young people tomorrow's leaders about money. Good stuff. Uh, if you've got a question for the show, here's what you do. Head to StackyBedgemans.com forward slash voicemail. And you too can have our team of experts here answer your question. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Shauna, thanks so much for hanging out with us.
4: Thanks for having me so much. It was great.
0: Well, It was so fun, you being here. And it's about time we finally got this done.
4: And I love the decor in your basement, by the well, way. It's, well, um, thank you. Interesting. It's eclectic.
0: Yeah, shabby chic, they call it. <laughs> there yes, we go. Right? Shabby chic. <laughs> so let's talk for a second. We've mentioned the book a few times, The Art of Being a PETA. We've talked about your background of side hustling, you going through 56 different side hustles in the book. Tell me a little bit more about it. Exactly what are we doing in the art of being a PETA?
4: Ultimately, what I'm doing is trying to convey that you can do almost anything you want to do. And it's always good to diversify your skill set and learn to adapt because by doing so, you make yourself more marketable. And the hope is that ultimately you achieve more of a work-life balance and enjoy what you're doing every day so you don't necessarily have to fund a two-week vacation in Hawaii to feel like you're living your life. I also discuss how to create a budget when you have little to no income or when you have irregular income, because that's what I had for years, and still be able to make ends meet and not go into debt, because that's important and I feel like it's a large barrier to entry sometimes when it comes to people doing side hustles they don't feel like they can make it make ends meet if they decide to do multiple side hustles instead of just one corporate job even though they hate their life
0: yeah yeah that's also one of my favorite topics finding the work that you love i think is 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 awesome uh where can we get it by the way
4: you can get it on Amazon and there are a few local bookstores in the North Carolina area right now
0: Fantastic. And we'll link to, to it on Amazon and our show notes page at StackyBedgemans.com.
3: Paula, what's happening over there at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, Cameron Huddleston joins us to talk about difficult conversations that you should have with your parents. So if you've ever thought hey, mom and dad, we need to talk. We need to talk about end-of-life care. We need to talk about estate planning. How do you actually have those conversations? And what do you do if you go to your parents and say, we need to talk, and they say, no, we don't. It's none of your business. Like, how do you handle parents who put up roadblocks around those conversations? How do you handle step families, um, in which, you know, multiple children or stepchildren are fighting about how to handle things? Cameron and I discuss all of those issues. We also previously, this was kind of one of my favorite guests as of recently david epstein came on the show and he's just super super effing smart so just go listen to that one because dude is smart
0: i think that that's probably of the two like the one that's more important for people listen to because most people listen to this show already know how to talk to mom and the important things you talk to mom about Mm. do do you want to hear sure this is a conversation with mom right here
2: oh yeah you hungry hey mom can we get some meatloaf? Chaz, I think I'm okay. I had a bite right before I came over. Thank you. You sure? You know what? I will have some meatloaf. Let's have some meatloaf. You want some? I need to go. Hey, Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! Mom, the meatloaf!
0: <laughs> Isn't that. Doesn't Cameron just talk about that the whole time? Yeah,
3: yeah. That's the whole book.
0: <laughs> and and I'm actually, obviously, I'm very much joking because, Paula, these are very tough conversations and talking to your parents who took care of you about money is so difficult. Absolutely. It's not all about the meatloaf, apparently.
3: <laughs> it's also about the, the meatballs, the sausage, <laughs> right. the bacon, the uh, steak, the ground beef. Mom, the Malibu. French toast.
0: Mom. Yeah.
3: OG, what do you got going
0: on this weekend?
2: The last hurrah before the kiddos go to school.
0: Oh, boy. Party at the OG residence this mm-hmm. weekend. Well, that's uh, that's going to be fun, and I will make sure I stay far, far, far away because uh, I don't want to be where the cops are going. Just <laughs> put it yeah. that way.
2: Because I'm sure. <laughs>
0: uh, know how rowdy it gets there. All right. That's going to do for today. Doug, you got it
1: from here, man. What should we have learned today? So, what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Shanna and the gang. Side hustle, main hustle, whatever. You owe it to yourself to make enough money to live on. Make more and spend less. That's the name of the game, right? Second, worried about your student loan debt? Well, use roundups and other tricks to pay them down more quickly, like Tony from the Chipper app mentioned. But the big lesson... Don't give Joe's mom the keys to the El Camino and tell her I'll be out in a few minutes as soon as we're done recording. Hey, anybody want to drive me to the Sizzler? Joe, please? Special thanks to Shanna Bell for hanging out with us. You'll find Shanna's book, The Art of Being a PETA, at Amazon.com. Thanks also to Tony Aquilar for joining us. You'll find details about the Chipper app at GetChipper.com or you'll find that link on our show notes page at StackingBenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and AffordAnything podcast. All the afford anything's. This show was created by Joe Salcihi, produced by Richie Rutter reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks. But like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
0: This is the after show. This, Shauna, is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens here stays here. You can't tell anybody about this part of the show. So okay. <clears throat> we, we, we talked about side hustles. And one question I really wanted to ask you about in detail, and then we'll ask uh, Paula and <laughs> OG the same question was, there's got to be some side hustle thing you did for money at some point that was just absolutely awful. Just like the worst <laughs> the worst job of all time. Uh, tell me about one of those
4: um, the, let's see the worst side hustle that I can recall to date was selling golf club passes, which was horrible. This was in the early 2000s so digital wasn't a thing. email was barely a thing. you found jobs still through classified ads so I found this side hustle to sell golf club passes and uh, went into this, um, supposed office, which was not really an office. It was basically an empty office with a folding desk and a chair and a bunch of people sitting on the floor. And they gave us these golf club, uh, tear sheets and said we had to go around to office complexes, uh, in and around the area and sell them. I got yelled at more often than I can even recall. Um, I sold basically nothing. And I hated my life. <laughs> I remember standing next to a, an air force base and thinking, this is what happened. <laughs> what, where did I go wrong? And nobody out here is playing golf. I can tell you they're not, they're not going to spend their disposal income on golf. <laughs> so that lasted about a week. And I said, forget this nonsense.
0: It's like, I'm done. And we can even expand this guys, even side hustle ideas you had, maybe a horrible idea. Paula, You've got either a horrible job or horrible idea to make money that, uh, you know, regret.
3: Yeah. So there's a there was a particular when I was doing a lot of freelance writing, there was a particular magazine that I wrote for. And I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story without naming names or throwing them under the bus. But let's just say it was an industry specific publication for an extremely niche industry. Backpacker. No, no, that would have been cool. That would have been super cool. It's a, It was a B2B, very niche industry publication, Forbes. super random, uh, <laughs> and nothing that I had any interest in whatsoever. And so I was basically doing the side hustle freelance gig equivalent of punching a clock. Like I just took the assignments because it gave me some word count that I could invoice for. And uh, didn't actually even bother to correctly learn the name of the magazine. And so I started sending these email interview requests to various people, say introducing myself as, hi, I'm Paula, and I'm a freelance writer for such and such magazine. It took me a while to realize that I actually got the name a little bit wrong of the magazine because I cared that little about what it was. <laughs> you didn't even get the name right. Yeah, I represented myself as, as a representative of this particular magazine and I didn't even get their name right. That's,
0: that's attention to detail.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And that's how you know that you are just not into a job. Like when you just, well, when it's a job I care about, I'm super attentive. I'm on it. If I don't care, it shows, it shows in my work. And,
0: uh, so we can tell like when you're checked out halfway through the Stacking Benjamin show and you're, you're just answering some totally random.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. You think I make it halfway? She's, like...
0: <laughs> she's, she's become good at faking it. Right. Uh, I do the show Stacking Hamiltons once in a while. It's all right. Piling up grants.
2: Great show. <laughs>
0: Oh gee, you must have had some. You're the guy that has all these money making ideas. There must have been one that you're like, what was I thinking?
2: I'm not sure that I remember any ideas that I failed to do or or did that didn't turn into money i I do remember one being in college where it was purely a Ponzi scheme, but like in the most docile way possible. It was like one of those ones where do you remember like the if you send uh, uh I can't even remember the process of it, but it was something like if you send in an envelope, self-addressed stamp envelope with six dollars or what is it, some nominal like, amount. It was
0: like one dollar to six different people.
2: No, not no. that. That that wasn't no, it was more like if you send if you write in then 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 you will get the success guide or whatever, which is basically a one page piece of paper. That said, hey, you should get a whole bunch of people to send you these because it's really a lot easier than creating a success guide. And I didn't know that until I sent my six dollars in or something like that. And then one of the things to do was to remember those tear sheets. Yes, or have like you know like a phone number or something like that. So say you know learn more, you know whatever. And no one tore anything off. And I was like, well, this sucks. And then one person did. I was like, holy cow, somebody did it. And it was my sweet mate who I then like, you know, four days later get a letter from in my in, in my mailbox at school. And I'm like, uh, or no, it wasn't at school. It was I had rented a UPS store mailbox. Nice. You know, because it could not never go to the dorm room. And I like went down there every day to check my mail, no mail, no mail. And then finally there's one with like, you know, six, six bucks in it. And it's my neighbor. And you I'm like, know